And we look at the team, it's an incredible team. We look at the market, it's a really big market in terms of the people they could serve. We look at the business model, well, there is none. Mm. And this led to a very interesting, perhaps mistake of omission. We decided not to back this company. And this goes on to be a unicorn. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. Join our community to claim your podcast listener discount on my Valuation Masterclass Boot Camp, where students learn how to value companies like a pro and advance their career. Go to myworstinvestmentever.com to join for free. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Academy, and I'm here with featured guests, Amit Somani. Amit, are you ready to rock? Yes, Andrew, I'm ready. I'm so excited to get you on the show. And, you know, you and I had a really fun conversation when we first started talking. And, uh, you know, I really want to say hats off to you. You gave me a book recommendation that just really, really hit the mark. And so I grabbed that book and really applied it. So I really want to tell all the listeners, you know, listen up. Amit knows his stuff. Let me introduce you to the audience, Amit. Amit is managing partner at Prime Venture Partners, a Bangalore-based early-stage fund. For 20 years prior to this, he held leadership roles at Make My Trip, Google, IBM Silicon Valley Labs, and IBM Research. Amit was part of the leadership team that took Make My Trip public on NASDAQ in 2010. He was also the head of various teams focusing on search, mobile, and advertisement products at Google. One of his products, the search-based keyword tool, even won the Google Founders Award. Prior to his role at Google, he was a director for the enterprise search and discovery business at IBM San Jose, California. And for those people who want to follow and learn more, you can find him on LinkedIn and Twitter, his two preferred places. And I'll have the links in the show notes. Amit, would you take a moment and fill any further tidbits about your life? Absolutely, Andrew. First of all, thank you so much for having me on the show. Very quickly, you know, I'm an engineer turned product manager turned business person turned accidental VC. And, and kind of resonant with the theme of your podcast, I'm very curious and inquisitive and not afraid to fail and not afraid to roll the dice from time to time. So I spent the first you know, I grew up in India here, went to one of the IITs, went abroad to the US, stayed there for about 14 years, came back to India in 2007. Like you already mentioned, worked at various companies like Google and Make My Trip. And now for the last six and a half years, I lead an investment firm which invests in early stage startups globally, but largely based out of India. Mm. And maybe you can just tell us just a little bit more about what types of startups and kind of what's your company and your yourself, your expertise or what you're looking for, just in case someone's listening and they need money. Absolutely. We would be delighted if somebody's listening, they need money and they have some interesting things to, to discuss. So what we look for uniquely, every, every VC venture capitalist looks for a great market and a great team, right? We do too. But the unique things that Prime Ventures looks for that we think are differentiated are you know, why is the product or service that you're bringing to the market 10x better than the current state of the art? Why is it a thousand percent better? Not 23%, not 85%, 
And in some sense, we're saying we want to bet and back the entrepreneurs that are really going to change the world and make it you know, an order of magnitude better. So that's the first thing. The second is we're very, very focused on product and tech-driven entrepreneurs, right? So we're not really doing offline businesses and D2C brands and so forth. So really, how can you leverage technology to solve problems, right? Whether it is in logistics or healthcare or education or, you know, what have you, right? So that's the second thing. And the last thing, which is also probably going to be related to what we are going to discuss today, is the viability of a business model, right? Saying, oh, this is great. You've got a great product. You have, it's very differentiated. It's backed by tech and product. Can you really build a business out of this and eventually a large company out of this? So those are the three things we look for. Is it 10x better? Is it backed by tech product? And can it someday become a large company? Mm. And those, I mean, just that is some gold nuggets. In particular, that final one of can this become a large company? That's something I think for the listeners out there, that that's the question you're going to get. You know, you got the idea in your head and you've been working it out with your friends and all that, but that is the challenging question. And I think we're probably going to hear more about that. So I'm ready to get in to your worst investment ever. And since no one ever goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstance leading up to then tell us your story. Absolutely. So let me talk about two related sort of investment mistakes and you know how kind of one led to the other and it could have been vice versa. So the context is that we're looking at a great company. This is circa 2015, 2016 which has a phenomenal product in the women's health space. Keep it a little abstract. And great product, global audience, amazing love, you know, has an app on the App Store, on iOS, on Android, what have you, et cetera. Loved it. You know, of course, we did our usual diligence, spoke to the entrepreneur and decided to back the company. However, there was one thing that was missing. That was the lack of a viable business model, okay? And we said, well, it doesn't matter. If you're building something that people love, it's great. It's got traction. It's got organic distribution. We will figure it out, right? So that is what I would call at that time a mistake of commission, which is to say that, look, you know, maybe we should have thought a little bit harder about how the business model would come out or the ability of that team to kind of manifest the business model, right? So that is, that is one of the challenges. Let me fast forward a few years later. And we, of course, you know, we've invested a lot in the last eight and a half years. We've invested in 34 companies, invest in about five a year. We meet another amazing company. And this time they're saying, we're going to paint the town red. It's in the FinTech space, you know, financial technologies and services in payments. And, you know, we're going to do this, that, and the other, but there is no business model. Don't ask about making money. We're just going to Everyone's going to love this and everybody's going to use this, right? And we look at the team. It's an incredible team. We look at the market. It's a really big market in terms of the people they could serve. We look at the business model. Well, there is none. Mm. And this led to a very interesting, perhaps, mistake of omission. We decided not to back this company. And this goes on to be a unicorn in three years, okay? The first one doesn't go anywhere. The second one, and it's the same it's the same question that one is asking, which is, is there a viable business model? So my learning, Andrew, was that, look, it's not the same you know, kind of analysis or the same rigor that will apply every time. You've got to factor in timing and not overly sort of pattern match, right? Because things change, markets change, dynamics change. So while what might have been both very fine and fair decisions, 
one leading to influencing the other was perhaps a big mistake. Mm. So let me maybe uh, let me uh, share some something about this. It's interesting because I'd like to refer to the public markets for a moment. And having been in the public markets all my life, I know that if you identify a repeating pattern and you act upon that repeating pattern, at first it seems like it's a great idea and you, you're going to make money from it. But eventually other people are going to find that pattern because it's so obvious eventually. And the more money you put into it, you know, yeah, you put in $100,000, it doesn't cause that pattern to really show. But when you get a hundred million and when you get a billion and you put it into that, all of a sudden it dissipates like, like a little wave that's just gone away and you're never going to see it rise in that spot again. And that's what makes investing in the public market so hard is that even if you have AI and machine learning and all of this, the patterns that they figure out eventually dissipate. So in that sense, it's a self-correcting market. But I've never heard it been talked about in VC and in private investing that what you're basically explaining is that when you think you've identified a methodology or a pattern that works, you could find that that doesn't work another time. And that is so disconcerting. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's a great example and great analogy you drew to the public markets because like you correctly said, once you find out some way to generate alpha or some way for your edge, you can sort of keep repeating it until everybody else latches onto it. Here, it is a little disconcerting to use your word because the market changes, the appetite to invest in that market changes, the landscape changes, right? And, and a variety of the consumer behavior changes, the business behavior changes. So the learning here really is that you should really continue to always evaluate things from first principles basis, right? You do not want to just extrapolate from a past pattern. That said, if, you, if you're going to do everything like a PhD thesis, you never invest. And in a market like ours, which moves very fast, you usually have you know, maybe a couple of weeks to make a decision. Sometimes it's a couple of days. Sometimes if you're lucky, it might be a month. You do need to rely on your experience, but you also need to go to the first principles of saying, okay, for here and now, what is the call I want to make based on whatever I know and what I need to investigate? Mm. And, you know, for an astute listener out there, they may also say, oh, wait a minute, maybe you really didn't investigate or do your due diligence on the business model in the right way, right? And so that's another angle that I'm thinking about that, you know, and then you think about one of the great books that I have up on my bookshelf is The Checklist Manifesto, the idea of having a checklist, having a structure, following that structure. But what you're saying is that you can't even sometimes rely on that. And it's just like, it's like quicksand. You know, you look at it and it looks like, yeah, I can get across this. And then all of a sudden it's very different than what you thought. It's just, it's so fascinating. Absolutely. No, I'm a big fan of Atul Gawande's book as well, The Checklist Manifesto. And we do have checklists, as you might imagine. You know, that said, Andrew, the, the challenge is that at early stages, things change very fast, right? And consumer behavior changes very fast. So I have this sort of quote I often use that a young, you know, a very young pup, like a dog, looks the same like a tiger cub when they're very young. Now, if you take an example of a company like Airbnb, which is in the travel space, since I spent a few years at Make My Trip, 
you know, who would have thought somebody would go and stay at somebody else's house and pay for it, or you would let some other guest come and stay here. And, and you know, the famous story, as, as I'm sure all of your listeners have heard, is they were rejected 54 times, right, before mm-hmm. they raised their first round of capital. And well, 12 years later, it's a $100 billion market cap company. Now that could have been like, hey, how is the business model going to be here, right? I mean, or, or will people ever stay en masse in other people's homes and so forth? So yes, it is subjective. So I wouldn't say that. Yes, we do have a checklist. Yes, we do evaluate it. But I think the idea is to look for enough proxies around that to try and ascertain. And in sometimes, you know, you just have to kind of, you know, hope and pray for some luck or some tailwinds to go your way, both for the entrepreneurs and for yourself as a VC firm. I think the other thing that I take away from it too is that, you know, there's a lot of young people when they get into the world of finance, maybe the world of business, they understand formulas, they understand Excel models and all that stuff. And the first thing we learn as we become practitioners is that these are not very reliable things. Excel can, you can make an amazing model, but it's, it's really just a very, very, it's, it's a tool, but it's not going to give you the answer. And I always say to my students at university and in my evaluation masterclass on, on day one, I say, if you leave my course feeling less confident, then I've succeeded. Right. Absolutely. You, you have to have a beginner's mind. That did trigger one more thought, Andrew, which is that it doesn't say that you should just walk in cold as if you're walking into, you know, play roulette or, or a poker game. You do need to come with a prepared mind. So you do need to have not just your checklist, but also your thesis, how you look at this opportunity. How would you evaluate it? How would you evaluate, you know, the customer behavior of the business that they're trying to serve? So the prepared mind is very, very important. But like you said, the beginner's mind is also very important, right? So I think it's some very famous person who has this quote, right? The, the more I know, the more I realize how little I know. Mm. Yeah, and I'm, and I'm thinking, I'm, I'm, visual, I'm trying to come up with a good visualization because in some ways it's like handling sand, you know, like, you know, you're, you're trying to hold it, but, you know, you can never control it because there's so many. And then the other one I thought about was like taking care of kittens, you know, like they say herding kittens and handling kittens. You, know, you can't squeeze too hard, you're going to kill it, you know? but you got to provide some structure to keep them in. And so it's like, that's the way investing is, is that, you know, sometimes you can rely on relationships. Sometimes you can rely on some models. Sometimes you can rely on customers and what you're hearing from them. And then you put together this tapestry of, or as we say in the world of CFA, we talk about the mosaic theory where we're pulling together different pieces to create a mosaic that gives us a final conclusion. Absolutely. In fact, if I may add one more thing, which probably also applies to the public markets, but even more so to the private markets or the venture market, is you also have a notion of a portfolio. So if there was only one bet I was allowed to make every year or you know three in a fund, then you know, this would be a really, really difficult business to be in. Right? It is difficult, but it would be almost impossible. So when you're constructing a portfolio of 15 or 20 companies in a fund of, say, 75 or $100 million, like what we do, then you're like, look, it's, it's all right. You're going to be wrong you know, a few times, but so long as you have repeatability in your process, in your method, in your sourcing, in your checklist, overall, you're going to be just fine. Because when you win in investing in private markets, you win big. 
a 1x investment could potentially return 50x mm. and which can pay for 10 other mistakes that you made on whatever might have been the reason. So let me ask you one last question. And that is in relation to this is that since I have a lot of young people and students, and I know that people, you have a lot of followers that are young folks trying to build themselves into their careers. For someone that wants to end up in their career where you are today, what advice would you give them? Be insanely curious. Be a learning machine. Like you said, I'm not familiar with the CFA or, or this term of mosaic. You know, Charlie Munger often talks about, you know, mental models and mm. lattice work or frameworks. So read a lot, learn from different people. You can learn something from everyone. Dabble in a variety of different areas. If you're a CFA, don't just read CFA. Go read something about physics or gene therapy or computer science or artificial intelligence. So that would be one suggestion I would have is be insanely curious. Mm. Fantastic. Now, let me ask you, let's go back in time to these decisions that you made about investing. And I want you to think about a young person or anybody that's out there right now facing a similar situation. They've got to decide, are we going to invest in this or not? Based upon what you learned from this story and what you continue to learn, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? Yeah. So I think, you know, you have to go with your own. So I always say in, in, in early stage investing, you can't borrow conviction. You got to get your own conviction because it is subjective, right? There is, it is not going to be hundred percent objective. God, I and love then, that. You can't yeah, borrow conviction. You, you can't borrow conviction, right? So you got to like, no matter what I say, you got to go figure out. So there has got to be something which is pointy haired, right? To use a dog bird, Dilbert, Scott Adams term that really catches your attention, right? There could be many things that are not right about the opportunity. One of which I cited today, which is mm. perhaps the lack of a viable business model. But if the entrepreneurs are through the roof or have some crazy insights about the market or a vision for the future, or their early customer traction is phenomenal, or this market is just at the beginning, right? Like if you look at crypto and blockchain now, you say, look, this is going to be around for 20 years, right? So there's to be something, there's to be one thing that is through the, through the roof, through the charts, right? Off the charts that should catch your attention. If it's all a little ho-hum, right? You know, if it's kind of like, yeah, kind of maybe, then it's a no. So at least that's one thing that I would say, specifically on the business model, I haven't really figured it out. So if one of your listeners has a recommendation for me, I'm open because at the earliest stage, when it's literally, you know, two guys and a gal and a dog in the garage, you know, you're still going to have to make that subjective call and have some combination of gut data and conviction. Mm. Well, I think that's great advice right there that, that you can't, you can't escape it. There's going to be a point where you're just going to have to make your, your play, make your bet. All right. Last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? We are, uh, you know, just launching kind of our, our, our new fund. And so we're very, very excited to continue to uh, invest in a few new areas, basically companies backed by AI ML. We're really, really excited about, you know, decentralized finance since I'm on your podcast, right? So mm. crypto, blockchain, and the application of that to financial services, that's like a big thing. And then gaming tech, right? So these are three new areas beyond what we normally already do. So I'm very excited to learn about these areas from some of the best entrepreneurs that are trying to solve these problems and also hopefully to contribute to them by both bringing capital and our expertise to bear. All right, listeners, you heard it. If you're in any of those areas, hmm, I think you got someone to talk to. 
Well, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. My number one goal for the next 12 months is to help you, my listener, reduce risk and increase return in your life. To achieve this, I've created our community at myworstinvestmentever.com. And when you join, you get that special podcast listener discount to the Valuation Masterclass Boot Camp. As we conclude, Amit, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. And on behalf of A. Stotts Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Oh, thank you, uh, Andrew, for having me. I would just say, stay curious, stay learning. Fantastic. And that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our well fellow risk takers. This is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stott, saying, I'll see you on the upside.